We are continuing our talk on patience. Last week, we looked at the first two verses, not first two verses, first verses um, found in James 5, verses 7 and 8. And we're going to be looking at the rest of that today. So last week, I read to you, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land yields its valuable crops, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And last week we looked at how there was a command in this to be patient. We looked at how there was a reason, the Lord's coming. This is the return of Jesus. And we looked at the example, the farmer. And then we talked about what does patience look like? This patience in these passages are specifically related to something happening earlier in James 5, and it's a relational. In community, we are to be patient. That's where the don't grumble against each other. And the example I specifically gave was when people are frustrated and make you want to go, to be careful of our work. And that is definitely part of what this is. And as I was preparing for this week, One of the readings I came across gave another example, and I I just want to put this one out there as well as a a follow-up. You know those days where you come home and something else has happened, and the people you love in your family had nothing to do with the problem, and somehow there's the ones you explode at. This, do not grumble against one another, also covers those situations. They're saying in James 1 to 6, these people are oppressing you. Be patient. Don't grumble against one another. In your frustration about this other thing, the trial, the tribulation, the oppression, the unfairness of this situation, don't explode at your innocent brother and sister in faith, your spouse, your children, the person and people you care about. Be careful not to grumble against them. That is another aspect of this be patient that we talked about relationally last week. And I thought it was important enough to bring it in to the start of this week. In relational patience, we choose not to grumble. Well, how do we respond to relational things? How do we respond to trials, that oppression? How do we have patience? The next verses follow this. Brothers and sisters, an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count it as a blessing those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy and mercy. (sighs) James, this is a whole letter, and he's wrapping up his whole message to believers who were suffering under extreme persecution, who were impoverished, who were being oppressed. An example of patience in the face of sufferings is to look at the prophet's and how they persevered, how they continued carrying on. Keep on keeping on. Hmm. 
It's not easy. Not easy. In the first two verses that we looked at, he gave us an easy, not an easy command. He gave us a command, a reason, an example. And here he just gives us examples. Look at the lives of these believers, the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all of the ones who came before. Look at the lives of those who continued, who persevered. As you know, we counted as blessed those who persevered. Something interesting about the book of James, in my opinion, is that James speaks about who Jesus is the least out of all of the letters. But his writing style, his illustrations, sounds the most like Jesus. It's just an observation. His writings feel like the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if this is a is because he, he was the little brother, half-brother of Jesus, and he just spent a lot of time listening to him growing up, and they had the same thinking. Just an observation. This reminds me of the Beatitudes we listened to at the beginning. Blessed are you when you're persecuted in my name. As you know, we are counted as blessed, those who have persevered. Oh, perseverance. It's not always something I want to think about. I think one of the great illustrations of perseverance is those who practice and train for a marathon. I'm not inviting us all to go join a running club, but there is something in the act of preparing for a that teaches you to persevere. I might not look like it now, especially if you walk up the stairs next to me as I'm breathing. I used to enjoy running. Elementary, high school, college, I was on the track team and the cross country team. And I loved running. I just hated training for running. I know that doesn't necessarily make logical sense. I loved running. I hated training for running. And I was, I was just a fast kid, grade six. I was fast, which is how they roped me into the, track, the cross country team. And I did not like endurance running at the time. Did not like long distances. I, steeplechase was never in my dreams. And I have this very vivid memory. I've run many times, and this is one of the only practices I remember. The coach was running, and it was the longest distance we had ever gone. It was longer than what the race was going to be. And five minutes in, maybe less, I was ready to walk. And she was pacing with me, keeping step with me. And she's like, Liz, you have more in you than you think. You can make it to that driveway. And when we got to the driveway, I was ready to stop. And she's like, no, no, you can make it to that telephone pole. And I would go, and she's like, you have more in you than you think. We can make it to the end of the street. I'm like, OK, well, the, we made it. To, it's two driveways. Yeah, I can make it. And I'm like, OK, we're at the stop. Okay. I can, she's like, you have more in you than you think. We're going to make it. And then she would give me another goal. And I, it is one of the only times that wasn't a race that I didn't stop. And that was the mission of this role. There is a whole thing. And when you're training, you walk, you run, you walk for certain training. This day was how long could you run continually? That was the mission of that day. I would not have succeeded without her reminding me, you can do this. There's more in you than you think. You can make it to the next. You can make it to, you can make it to. 
One foot in front of the other, keep going. She was teaching me without me even realizing it, how to persevere. How to keep going. Perseverance is keeping on going. And it enabled me to learn and build endurance. Because we went longer than what the race was actually gonna be, so that when I saw the end line, I actually, race day, was able to sprint the last 100 meters. Came in 10th out of 300. Not for, well, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I was so, oh, I was in grade six. It was, <laughs> I was really excited about the medal and everything. I owe it to the coach because my natural skill wouldn't have got me there on my own. She built me up to persevere. The perseverance built endurance. As an example of patience in facing suffering, take the prophets. They kept going. Jeremiah, impoverished, kept preaching. Jeremiah, put in prison, kept speaking the truth of God. When we look at those who have gone before us, they encourage us, you can make it tomorrow. You can make it the day after tomorrow. You can make it to the end of this week. You've got this. Keep on keeping on. And it is important, I think, for us to tell the stories of faith, of people who have come before us who have persevered. Their suffering might be different than ours, and it might be a foreshadowing of what we might face someday. And this is not a, well, they had it worse than you. It is the example of keeping on with Jesus. So I'm going to tell you one of these stories of perseverance, not from scripture, but from our history of faith. The year is 1555, and we were talking about a man named Thomas Hawkes. He came from a very respectable family, living in England, serving as a page in King Edward VI's court. He was a Protestant. I don't know how well you did in history, but this was a tumultuous time in England. And when King Edward died, the power and politics shifted in the nation, and Protestants were out, and Catholics are in. And this is not talking about how brothers and sisters should treat each other in faith. This was a political move. And it became dangerous to be a Protestant. Thomas Hawke removed himself from public life, returned to his family, and his wife gave birth to a son. Now his enemies watched and waited and used this against him because he would not baptize his son as a Catholic. So he was arrested. He would not recount his faith in Jesus. And so he was sentenced to death by burning. Now his friends came to visit him and they chatted and they prayed and they cried and they wept. And then they said, Thomas, we're afraid. We know fire is a horrible way to die. We need you to give us help. Let us know if it's bearable. You are going before us. We might be there next week, next month, next year. We need to know if we can stand under this. And so after he made a speech, and I'm not going to read it because it's all in Old English, and I could barely get it out. 
But it was a very impassioned speech, and they all together agreed that if he was able, if God was allowing him through the strength of Jesus to endure, he would raise his hands. April 10th, 1555, Thomas Hawk was executed. He was brought out. He made a prayer and a plea for Jesus Christ as they, and poured his soul out onto God as they lit the fires below his feet. As the blaze continued, his speech could no longer be heard as he continued to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, of the salvation of sins, and the hope of the resurrection. As the fire burned long, I'm not going to go, it's a little more graphic than I need, but his skin changed color, he looked like he was dead. There was despair in his friends as they watched this, going, Did, is Jesus able to sustain? Can we stand under this trial? Can we persevere? He looked dead. But contrary to expressions, suddenly, Thomas, I'm, this author says, mindful of his promise, maybe reminded by Jesus, strengthened by the Holy Spirit, raised his hands, still burning, above his head, and clapped them three times, signaling to his friends, Jesus is enough to endure this. Jesus is enough to endure this. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of Jesus. As you know, we count it as a blessing those who have persevered. That is in the face of trials, of tribulations, of standing firm in your faith. And arrest isn't something I eminently fear today. Execution, not one that I eminently fear. But I still feel a twinge of fear when I am telling a friend that I'm a pastor sometimes. How are they, are they going to reject me? This is my moment to persevere and say, you know what? I am a pastor, and this is what I believe about Jesus. Persevere. Our trials may look different, but the challenge is the same. To endure through patience by persevering. Jesus is enough to get us through it. This is the example of the prophets of Thomas Hawk. But that isn't where James leaves us. Because these aren't the only trials we face. His next words, you have heard of Job's perseverance. Oh, the patience of Job. The patience of Job. Job's an intimidating book to pick up. It is. The first chapter takes place in heaven, and we never realize, like, sometimes I think we forget. Job never gets that disclosure, what happens before his bad times hit. We get to know that. We are allowed to peek behind the screen and understand what's going on. Job never gets those answers. Job, a man who has been blessed by God, has children and wealth and health and is living a good life. And then out of nowhere for him, everything is taken away, one after another. He loses his crops, his money, his wealth, all gone. 
but he still has his children, his family, his health. Next, he hears there's been a devastation. All his children are killed. He is now financially ruined, grieving extreme loss, and his health fails. It is hard to praise the Lord when your very skin is burning. He has some friends come to visit, and a wife who says, just curse God and he'll strike lightning and you'll die. Get it over with. And Job won't. Job's patience involves exercising endurance. His last words in Job testify to the unusual sense of God's presence. He says, my ears have heard of you. Now my eyes have seen you. You can read that in Job 42.5. Assuredly, the world, Lord works on the community out of compassion when they cultivate uncommon patience. Job went through a lot. Not only did he lose his wealth, grieve his loss of his children, lose his health, he then had to endure his friends. His friends come and sit with him, and the best thing they did was sit with him in silence for seven days. And as somebody who has just grieved, um, sometimes the best moments we had was people just let us sit and have a sip of tea. I didn't want to hear anything. Or if I did, I didn't want to talk about the thing that was hurting. Can we talk about gardening or anything else? A book I've read, how much I detest taking Hebrew class. <sighs> that was, I, we could do a whole sermon on persevering through Hebrew class. I can testify to the Lord. I have passed that class. Barely. <laughs> but it's a pass. And as my friend keeps reminding me, C's get degrees. Okay. Job sits there in silence, and then his friends start giving him advice. And if you read through it, sometimes they sound like they have the theological answer. They had the wisdom of their days, and it was not comforting. It was not supporting, and God gets after them much later going, you think you know it all, you know nothing. This is an aside. One about to give somebody advice when grieving or they've just heard cancer, Bite your tongue. Whatever that wise thing you're about to say is, make sure God wants you to say it. Because sometimes the best response is silence. Sometimes the best response is silence. If it comes back to you later, then it's probably something God wants you to say. But that first initial bit of after, I'm sorry if you're lost. Job went through a lot. It reminds me that those prophets were persecuted for their faith. That is one type of persecution or trial or suffering. But Job's suffering had nothing to do with his faith. It means whatever your situation today is, it's okay if it's not persecution. It could be job loss. It could be just inflation means that your paycheck is worth less than it did this time last year and now you are financially struggling. It could be the fact that there's not enough rain or there's too much rain and the ground isn't the right. I'm not a farmer. I told you about my green thumb skills last week. But you know what I mean? Like, it could be any trial or tribulation. I found Hebrew class a trial and tribulation I had to pray through. And it was one I chose. 
It could be dealing with your in-laws. It could be supporting somebody who's sick and because they're in physical pain, they're lashing out at you. It could be breaking a habit of something that was a coping mechanism when you were young, but now it's harmful in your adult years. Trials and tribulations. Job did cry out in greatly in his distress, but he endured. Job did ask questions of God, but he endured. Faithfulness through trials does not mean the absence of lament. Faithfulness through trials does not mean the absence of lament. You have heard Job's perseverance, and you have seen the Lord, what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Reading this in English, I've always read this, and you have seen what the Lord has finally brought about for Job. Because there's an and, and I put those two clauses together. I might not be alone in that. That's how I've always read it. Look at what God gave him back at the end. You've gone through this, but there is life after sorrow. The Greek, and I'm trusting other people's wisdom because I took Hebrew, not Greek. The Greek, when you look into this, could also be translated. Instead of... You have seen what the Lord has finally brought about is better translated to the end of what the Lord, of the Lord you saw. They're talking about Jesus here. The end of what Jesus did, his victory. It's actually a change in thought here. You've heard about the persons of Job and you know Jesus rose from the dead. This is what Jesus has done. The Lord has brought about victory over death. We have assurance that this suffering will end in God's victory. The Lord is faithful and compassionate. In 1997, a Christian band called Cayman's Call came out with a song. Last year was their 25th anniversary, and I only found out that they did a remake of the song and a whole new album. I was very excited this week, re-listening to a band that I had thought had dispersed. But the song that they had has these words in it. Love has come, Jesus. Love has come, love has come, and it's giving me hope to carry on. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. That's the hope we have. We have seen what Jesus has done, the resurrection, and it is giving me the hope to carry on. We persevere. We are patient in our suffering because Jesus is the hope that lets us go to the next driveway, to that telephone pole, to the end of the driveway. He has given us the hope to carry on to the end of this day, to tomorrow. I can make it one more day because Jesus has given me the hope to carry on. Jesus has given me the hope to carry on. Here's the cross I gave the kids today.
We have seen what the Lord has done. He is full of compassion and mercy. He has given me the hope to carry on. That is what patience looks like in our situations. As the worship team comes to leave us in a song that praises God in the good times and in the hard times, maybe today is the day you need to say, Jesus, I need to make it one more day. You are the one who will help me learn perseverance. You are the one training me to endure. With you, I can carry on through this.